Uh, we're going to have our, our main reading now uh, from Luke's Gospel. And after we've read together, the children will head out to Sunday school and there's a class for the older children, 11 to 14s today as well. Uh, Luke chapter 8. We're going to read from verse 26. If you have been following the church email, you'll see that the preaching plan and the passages have been chopping and changing somewhat. There's been some alterations, but this is where we are this morning. Uh, let's hear God's word. Luke eight twenty six. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him and he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, on the, now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. And so he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. <laughs> When the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. It's Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city just how much Jesus had done for him. I want you just to uh, picture this scenario tomorrow morning. Uh, you're at work, school, wherever, and someone says to you, uh, how was your weekend? How did it go? And you say, yeah, it was good. It's good, yeah. You run them through. As a Sunday is at church. Oh, how was church? And you say, yeah, it was good. It was good. We were, we were learning about a man with a demon. I wonder what kind of response you get from your, your school friends, 
from your work colleagues, maybe even from a family member. I suspect you might get a, a raised eyebrow or two. Uh, a demon? <laughs> really? Do you believe in that kind of stuff? I wonder what your response would be to that question. <laughs> How would you answer? The Bible is really clear, isn't it, about the reality of evil in this world. Not just evil as a, a force, but evil as a personal, spiritual reality. Evil that thinks and plans and schemes and plots and acts and has purposes. The Bible's clear about the presence of spiritual beings in our world, Satan and demons. Creatures made by God, not made to be evil, but who through their rebellion have become twisted. And I think if you were to try and explain all that to your friend or work colleague, you might get a response of cynicism. Oh yeah, but that was, that was what they believed back then, back in Bible times. And they believed that because they were ignorant and primitive. There were loads of things that used to happen that they had no answers for. And so they would just blame it on the demons. Something's happened, we can't explain it. So it must be some unseen spirit. But we're, uh, we're more advanced now. We can explain things that were then unexplained. And so we know that these things don't exist. That kind of response, that kind of cynicism would... would <laughs> But it doesn't take the Bible at face value for one thing. The teaching of the scriptures is, is far more nuanced than that. When you read the Bible, it's not that everything gets blamed on, on demons and spiritual forces. We've, we've seen that, haven't we, even going through Luke's gospel. Some of the problems that we face fall into different categories. Disease could be one. Death, another. Our problem could be a moral one. We sin, we need forgiveness, guilt. Storms, chaos, disorder in creation. But also part of the problems, part of the, the difficulty, the mess of this world is in part due to evil spiritual forces. But at the end of uh, Matthew chapter four, you see something of this, this nuance. People bring... Uh, friends and family to Jesus, and they have all sorts of problems. So Matthew records, they brought to Jesus all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, those who were oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. So there's, there's all sorts of, of categories there. Problems might be emotional, psychological, spiritual, moral, physical. I think just the reminder that I've had this week is just to take account again, remember that spiritual evil is part of the world that we live in. We shouldn't underestimate the presence of spiritual evil. I think there are two, two errors that we can fall into as Christians when it comes to thinking about these things. One is to be 
overly interested and obsessed. <laughs> Writing every problem off, every misfortune off is down to some demon somewhere. The other error, and I think we probably fall into this category more often than not, is to just be ignorant and unaware. I think as I've looked at this this week, I've realized my own thinking in this area is perhaps underdeveloped. I think without this category of spiritual evil, there were just some things in our world that are just unexplainable. (laughs) One commentator writes this, texts about demons are difficult for many modern people because they ask us to deal in categories that do not involve seeing or hearing. But when we see the horrific, destructive character of our culture and how terribly we can treat one another, it's hard not to recognize the presence of diabolical evil in our world. We'd all agree with that, wouldn't we? As we come to this account of Jesus delivering this demon-possessed man, I just want to focus really or kind of gather our, our thoughts around four encounters. And the first encounter is between this helpless man and these destroying demons. Helpless man and the destroying demons. Verse 26 says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. Literal translation, this man is is demonized. As Jesus and his disciples, they've just come through this, this terrible storm. They've just landed on the other side of the lake. And the first thing, the first person that meets them is this, this man. This wild man. They're now outside of Israel's borders. They're in Gentile territory, hence the pigs. And then there's this confrontation. (laughs) We get to learn a little bit about this man's backstory, don't we? Well, not his backstory, but his state. Uh, and it's, it's depressing, isn't it? It's terrible the way this man's life, what this man's life had become. It's a pitiable existence. Talks about him living among the tombs, about him driven out into the desert, about him wearing no clothes. This demon is utterly dominating him. And his case is an extreme one, isn't it? Really extreme. You know, as we've gone through these two chapters of Luke, everything that Jesus has faced has been extreme, hasn't it? I don't even notice that. But the sickness that the centurion's servant had was a sickness unto death. He didn't have a cough or a cold. The, the, the person who had died, the funeral that Jesus interrupted. He wasn't a man who was old and full of years. He was a young man, a son, an only son of a widow. The woman who was forgiven, she was a notorious sinner. The storm wasn't just a kind of a breeze. It was a, it was a forced ten gale. 
And he's showing us these extremes and how Jesus deals with them. Luke is reminding us that Jesus can deal with the extreme. If he can deal with the extremes, he can deal with everything that's lesser. And so here is this man possessed by a legion of demons. And we look at this man, don't we? We're sat here this morning. We're all clothed, thankfully, (laughs) in our right minds, hopefully. And we we, we look at this man and we think, what a mess. But the difference between us and him is not a different of kind. It's not a different of quality. It's a different of quantity. We're only different from this man by degrees. Because without Jesus, the reality is every single one of us is under the dominion of the evil one. That's how the Bible speaks of us. We are part of the kingdom of darkness. C.S. Lewis uh, described his condition before his conversion like this. He says that he was a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears and a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. That's what C.S. Lewis says of himself. (laughs) That's true of each one of us apart from Jesus. So we may look respectable on the outside, but on the inside, we're not. We haven't just got quite as far along the line as this man had. This man gives us a terrifying preview, a snapshot of what our future would be apart from Jesus Christ. Spiritual evil is real and powerful. And even as Christians, even those who have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness, we are not immune from spiritual evil. We're not free from its influence. I've been reading quite a bit this last couple of weeks, Ephesians chapter four. I think in the email encouraged us all to read that chapter as a church and pray it through. But there's some verses there towards the end of the chapter, Paul writing to the church, he says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. See what he's saying? If you, if, you, if you harbor anger and bitterness, you open the door. And we see just how destructive spiritual evil is in the life of this man. It's terrifying, isn't it? And if, 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 if the state of this man isn't enough for you to understand the, the destruction that evil power brings, just look at the pigs. Think of the power that it takes to herd 2,000 pigs into the sea. You know, sometimes it's difficult to get two sheep through a farm gate. Getting 2,000 pigs to run headlong into the sea, that's power. I heard a story recently about uh, two uh, women who traveled to Mexico and they had... uh, 
been on their holidays and they were traveling back to America and, and somewhere near the border, they dis- discovered a chihuahua, you know, on those little dogs. It doesn't really even look like a dog, but uh, that's, that's just my opinion. Uh, and they discovered this chihuahua and they thought, oh, it's lost, it's a stray, we'll take it home. They put it in the car. And one lady took it home. She took it back to her house. She kind of bathed it. She even let it sleep in a bed that night. And then the day after, she decided she's going to take it to the vet, You'd get its jabs and all sorts of stuff. And when she got to the vet, she realized it wasn't a chihuahua. It was a Mexican water rat. <laughs> it had rabies. She let that thing into her home. And the point is this, we... As believers, we don't want to we don't want to welcome in evil powers by harboring anger. And James, James writes about wisdom that comes from below. He says demonic, he calls it. He says it's wisdom that's rooted in pride and self-seeking and ambition. And he rebukes the people he's writing to for, for friendship with this world. He said, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And the thing I want us to take from this first interaction between Jesus, the man with demons, is just the destructive nature of spiritual evil. Let's have that picture of the man there, driven out into isolation, alone, crying out among the tombs. And when you're tempted to hold on to sin, when you're tempted to, in that decision, to throw your lot in with Satan, although none of us ever think of it like that, think of of this man. So that's the first interaction. The second interaction is between the supreme son and the begging demons. So the boat lands on the shore and straight away uh, there is this man and Luke records, he says, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Remember the disciples in the storm, they had questions, didn't they? They saw Jesus still the storm and they said, who is this man? Well, these demons know exactly who this man is. They are orthodox in their belief. They don't have saving faith. They don't put their confidence in Jesus, but they know exactly who he is. Son of the most high God. And then there's this showdown and the deck is stacked against Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is on, he's away. He, the, the, the demons have the home advantage. Jesus is in Gentile territory. The, 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 the kind of surroundings, they, they reek of defilement. There's this man who's come from the tombs, the place of the dead. There's this herd of pigs nearby. And then it gets worse because when Jesus asks this man his name, or it's not clear if he asks the demon uh, the name, the, the demon replies, my name is Legion because we are many. In a legion, there was six, 7,000 soldiers. The teams seem a bit one-sided. 
But, but the, the, the wonderful thing about this passage is that as the contest unfolds, you see that this is just no contest at all. <laughs> the, man, the man is there just, just kneeling, he's begging. Like three times we get that, that begging word. Begging not to be tormented. The demons, it's not clear who's speaking, is it? It seems to be that the, the demons are manipulating this man's personality or what's left of it in his vocal cords and speaking to Jesus. Begging not to be tormented. Begging not to go into the abyss. And there's no struggle. There's no big battle. We've been watching some of the Avengers films and usually they end in this massive battle and you know the good guy's going to win, but it's a, it's a hard push fight. There's none of that here. Jesus is absolutely supreme. As I've read this this week, I've just wished that I could paint this picture. I wish I could paint, <laughs> just to paint this picture of this, this man on his knees before the, the saviour, the supreme son. It's just a, a wonderful picture. Sometimes uh, when I look around the world, and I'm sure it's the same for you, it seems like uh, spiritual evil is winning hands down. That's what it seems like. It seems overwhelming. I think of some of the people that I've met and their life has just become a, a vortex of self-destruction. Sometimes it feels like, doesn't it, that the enemy's lies are just inescapable. Do you ever feel like that? And yet here we see the truth. We see that Jesus is supreme. The, the demons even need to ask his permission to go into the pigs. This man, there was no way he was going to pull himself together, was there? There was no therapist that was going to sort this guy out. He needed the sovereign power of God to deliver and redeem him. And that is exactly why the Son of God came. John in his letter tells us that the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. And here Jesus crosses the sea to rescue this tormented man. In fact, he does more than cross the sea. He goes right out into the outer darkness. It's a very real sense that Jesus became all that this man was in order to rescue him. He was stripped, whipped, bearing a shame that was beyond the shame that this man knew. He was isolated. His friends deserted him. <laughs> Crucified outside the city. Alone. Yelling out. The God forsaken man, wasn't he? And his home became a tomb. And he did all of that so he could rescue this madman. He did all of that so he could rescue you and me. 
so that we could sit before him clothed in his righteousness, in our right mind, seeing things clearly. Paul writes this of Jesus. He says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. As we go about our day-to-day lives, and as we, particularly as we pray, we need to have great awareness of the reality of spiritual evil. But even more than that, we need a, a deep conviction of the supremacy of the Son of God. We must uh, press on, but before we do, maybe a quick word about the pigs. I'm sure you've got questions about the pigs. I've got questions. Uh, this passage just raised lots of questions for me this week. I've, some of them found answers to, lots of them not. If you want to chat about questions after, more than happy to do that. But questions about the pigs. Why, why the pigs? Why does Jesus give permission for these demons to go into the pigs? We're not told, are we? I think two things are possible, maybe even probable. I think firstly, uh, when we think about the pigs and we have got questions about that, we don't understand, I think it just reminds us that deliverance, uh, we don't get to pick what that looks like. We would love it for it to all be clean and tidy. But as the Lord unpicks those footholds in our life that the enemy has, we don't get to pick what that looks like might be messy but the lord does things his way we're not a we're not a, a kind of self-build project we're his project and the second thing i think seeing the pigs there floating in the sea reminds us something of the economy of god's kingdom in the economy of god's kingdom 2000 pigs is worth less than this one madman. I looked up this morning, actually, what the going rate of sale for a pig was, around about 300 pounds, apparently. Uh, 300 times 2,000, 600,000 pounds. That's a lot of money, isn't it? And here Jesus values this man. This man that society had cast out, they wanted nothing to do with him. Get him as far away from us as we can. Jesus had compassion on him. So that's the supreme son and the begging demons. And what about the third interaction? We see the third interaction between the, the crowd of people, the fearful crowd and the departing Jesus. So it says there, verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. The the crowd cannot help but notice this man has been transformed. He's clothed, no longer naked. He's in his right mind and he sat at the feet of Jesus. Calm peace 
Just think of this lovely new community that seems to be gathering around the feet of Jesus. Earlier on, chapter seven, this woman who's been forgiven, she's there at the feet of Jesus. And now here is this, this man who's been restored also there. And how do the people of the town respond? Well, it's somewhat strange response, you'd think, isn't it? You'd think, you'd think they'd be like grateful. This man had been a problem, a kind of blight on the community. They'd not been able to control him. They tried to lock him up lots of times and he's escaped. He had this kind of power. And now there he is. You'd think they'd be grateful, but they're not. They're afraid. Why are they afraid? Because they know that now in Jesus, a greater power has arrived. That's the only way this man can be the way he is now. He's clothed and in his right mind. I think they've also seen what Jesus has just done to their pig economy. He's just sent it off a cliff, (laughs) literally. They've seen Jesus' value system and they realize if this man stays, we can't control him. We'll have to submit to him. See, when faced with the real Jesus, there's only really two options. You either, you either push him away or you join the community at his feet kneeling in submission. They're your only two options. There's not a third option. See, it was impossible for them to make the mistake that we often make in the 21st century. We think there is a third option. We think we can kind of pay lip service to Jesus, do a few things that he wants. And then when we want to do something different, we can do that. We we think there's a, a third option. I can have Jesus, I can have it my way. But when we meet the real Jesus, we just know that's not an option. We either push him away or we submit to him. And maybe this morning you're sitting on the fence. You think you can keep a foot in both camps. You think you can follow Jesus and follow your own heart. Don't be deceived, you can't. Maybe that's particularly a danger for those who grow up in the church. You can tick the right boxes, read the Bible, go to church, keep mum and dad happy. And you think somehow you're doing your Jesus bit and you can have your bit. Doesn't just doesn't work like that. Some of the saddest verses, aren't they? When Jesus just, they ask him to depart and he gets in the boat and leaves. This supreme son, please Jesus, go away. I pray that none of us this morning would say that to Jesus. And the final encounter is between the devoted disciple and the sending Jesus. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home, declare how much God has done to you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him.
If the, if the response of the crowd is, Jesus, go away, the response of the man is, Jesus, let me stay. <laughs> I want to be with you. A community of, of disciples and women that's there at the start of chapter eight, this man wants to be part of it. He wants to follow Jesus around. So it's got to be, it's got to be a good desire, that hasn't it? It's got to be a right thing for him to desire. And he begs Jesus. And the strange thing I find here is that Jesus doesn't give him permission to do that. Jesus lets the demons go into the pigs, but he doesn't let this man come with him. He says to the man, no, you have to go. Go home. And we learn that this man's devotion to Jesus isn't going to be expressed in his proximity to Jesus. It's going to be expressed in his obedience to Jesus. Is he going to do what Jesus says? And he does, doesn't he? He goes out, he goes home. He's sent on mission home <laughs> to speak about Jesus, to declare all that God has done for him. Just two quick comments as we close about that. The first is about the place of personal testimony. If you're a, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have a story to share, a story of what the Lord Jesus has done in your life. You might think, oh, it's not dramatic like this man's. It's probably not. You've still got a story. And in fact, what happened to this man has happened to you. Just the details look different. You have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness. You have been delivered from the power of Satan. You now belong to Jesus. And you can share that story. And you can declare what God has done for you. This uh, passage also reminds us that sometimes the most difficult place to do that is actually just where you are. You have all sorts of ideas about going to far-flung corners of the world and maybe, maybe that might be the case for some of us, but for most of us, it's at home where it starts. Speaking about what God has done for us. And when Jesus rescues and redeems us, we are called to a life of obedience. That's how we express our devotion to him. None of us do that perfectly, do we? But that's what our devotion looks like. But this is one thing I want you to remember from this, this encounter. It's the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We don't need anyone else. We need him. And he gives himself to us. And he calls us to trust him. And he is the one who brings deliverance. Shall we pray? Uh, and then we'll have our final song together this morning.
Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are supreme. We thank you that you have all authority. We thank you that you have power over all evil. Thank you that one day, one day all evil will be removed from your world. We thank you that even now you're at work rescuing those you have ransomed. We pray for ourselves, our Father as Christians, those who belong to Jesus. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to live a life of devotion and obedience to you. Lord, for each of us, we have areas in our lives where we feel the tempter's power, where we're tempted towards despair. We pray, our Father, you may again, as we ponder your word to us, give us a sight again of our supreme Saviour, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.